saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named, not only in his age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It is a pretty high step you guys got going here. Um, I'm sure someone will fall someday and it will be lower then. <laughs> yeah, so um, my English is not that bad. Um, but it is a little bit Afrikaans sometimes, so just bear with me. Um, I won't use brew at the wrong times. It is one of my special words. You know, we all have that filler word, and I was caught out by Stephen that time. The other day, I was um, I was eating with a guy from, he was here from PE, a church planter down there, and uh, we were sitting in Dross. There was that burger special. Was it just me who capitalized on that? We all did, huh? It was good. And in um, any case, and, and you know, Dross, there's all these uh, little condiments standing around there, and I said to him, um, just please pass me the condonements, and I'm like, <laughs> or the condolences, one of those two words I used, and he looked at me funny, and he's like, what condolences are you talking about now? So yeah, my English is a little bit dangerous, but um, when it comes to, to the word, I, I trust that it would be on point and on mark, um, I'll pray that the Lord will do that for us this morning, and uh, that he'll work supernaturally through us all. So, Kunamdi. Uh, Nandi Kubala, okay? It's great to be here this morning. Um, we were in outreach with some of you guys uh, a few years ago. We were in Vasti, and uh, that word we used wherever we are. So, but it is a great privilege to be here this morning. Um, Ona is not here this morning, as you would have picked up. Um, he is preaching at BBC, so um, he's sending his regards as well to you all and missing you all dearly. Um, he's been a good friend of mine for close to 10, 11 years. I tried to work worked out last night. Um, he uh, walked a great road with me as I became a Christian and uh, is really a dear friend of mine. And uh, yeah, we continue to walk the road together. And then me and Stevie, we stay together as he has um, explained. I'll get you back for that one. Uh, close to two years we left together. And then a lot of you guys that are sitting here were sent out. Some of you guys were sitting here were sent out from Lichtpunt. So it's, uh, it's, it's bittersweet in some way when we send you guys out to plant rooted. Um, a lot of you are here won't even know about that happening. Um, but yeah, so it's bittersweet um, to be here in some way or to think about it again. Uh, it's better in the fact that you lose close relationships, people that's very dear to you. Um, good friends, good times you went through, bad times you carried one another. Um, but also so sweet to see the new faces, people that God is reaching in a supernatural way. How He's working through His church to reach people that He wouldn't have reached um, if we all stayed in our comfort zones and doing whatever we wanted to do for our time and ways. So uh, it's a great privilege to be here, um, and it is feels like I'm away from home, eh? like they say for some people. So it's amazing to be here with you guys. So let me pray for us and ask that the Lord will do amazing work um, as we come to His Word and speak to us. 
Dear Lord Jesus, we um, praise you for the amazing privilege to be here this morning. Um, some of us might think and wish that we might have been somewhere else at this stage um, or be at another place where something more exciting might happen. But Lord, if we read of you in your word and hear how you speak, we know that it's primarily through the word that you have given to us, your revealed word. And um, with that hope and that knowing, um, we come to you this morning. Um, I pray that you take me away and that you take um, the temptations of the devil away and the lies he speaks to us as we're sitting here and trying to sow, um, that, that you will take it all away, that you will make us people of, that you have explained of in your parable, that, that the word of your seed will fall on good ground, Lord, that it will bear good fruit, that you will change us, transform us supernaturally, and that we won't leave here as the same as the way we came. May your Holy Spirit work powerfully as we hear you speak to us now. We pray this in your name. Amen. The legendary Blaise Pascal uh, said the following profound words in the 1700s. Um, he said the following, All men seek happiness. There are no exceptions. However different the means they may employ, they all, they all strive towards this goal. The reason why some go to war and some do not is the same desire in both, but interpreted in two different ways. The will never takes the least step except to that end. This is the motive of every act of every man. There is no greater quest in life more important than the quest of seeking true happiness, of finding true happiness, the good life, the American dream. We hope to achieve this goal of true happiness with all our efforts on earth. Um, Tim Keller's thesis um, in his New York Times bestseller, Reason for God, says that each one of us takes a leap of faith in something or someone to reach this life of true happiness. And I want, you guys, want to convince you guys this morning that you are in the best place in the world to find true happiness. Um, in the church at Ephesus, uh, we find this similar quest going on. It's been in the human race since the beginning. Paul and his missionary team brought the gospel to this important city in Asia, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Um, there were also many different ways that people were seeking the good life in Ephesus. Um, there was a big obsession with a hunger for power similar to what we find in our day and age. They worshipped in this big temple called the Temple of Artemis. Um, they worshipped this god, this false god, to bring them pleasure, fame, and fortune. This was a normal cultural event happening in Ephesus on a regular basis um, in, in the, the city where they lived. And as this church in Ephesus grew, um, the believers was tempted to kind of mix this gospel message, this news, good news that came to them with worshiping this false god to give them all those good things. They started to think that this good news they received in Jesus was not as good and powerful as it was in the beginning. As it changed their lives in the beginning, they started to move on towards something else. They were being tempted to move on towards something else to find the good life. And therefore Paul wrote this letter to them. Paul declares this desire for them through his written prayer for them. Okay? Um, I call it the preaching prayer. 
Okay, it, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it manifest in the church. Okay, it's uh, usually when a more mature brother comes along your side um, and they say, No, I want to pray for you, brother or sister, in, in this time where you are. But as you listen to their prayer for you, you kind of pick up at some stage. It's not so much a conversation between the two of you and the Lord, it's actually the Lord bearing witness to what your older brother or sister is trying to preach to you, actually. Okay, this is a similar thing what's going on in, the, um, in this prayer of Paul. Um, more importantly, obviously, this is inspired prayer by God. Um, our God indirectly communicates through this prayer of Paul to what is His will for them. Okay, So therefore, we are very privileged this morning as we are sitting here to have ringside seats to hear what God explains as the road to true happiness. What is His will for His people? The only way to true happiness. So when it comes to specifics like this, Regarding God's will for our lives, one needs to give extra attention, okay? Um, God is giving His vision to us and the place to where He is leading us to. It's important for us to know, because if we're not knowing to where God is leading us, we'll get distracted and tend to one discouraged in the way that He is going with us. Or we might just completely lose focus of His plan and way that He's working through us. So let me turn it on its head maybe for us. If you are not sure what God's plan and vision for your life are, you're going to be confused and discouraged in the way that God is working within you and us as a church. And it might lead us to a place of total confusion. So let us listen to Paul's crucial preacher's prayer as we are here this morning. So I'm reading for us from Ephesians 5, uh, 1 verse 15 to 23. If you guys have your Bibles, you can follow there with me. Um, and I want us to just pick up on the first primary point in this passage, okay? Um, it's there in verse 17. Paul prays, as I've said, that, he will, that God will reveal himself to the church and that they will get one thing, and that is that the primary goal for God's people is that they will know him, okay? It's not rocket science, okay? So, if God is the God of the Bible and His people are His disciples, obviously we will agree that the major theme in any Christian's life will be to know the Father, to grow in knowledge of knowing the Father. That is the primary goal in any Christian's life. He'll need to know the Father. Um, and that is what Paul is praying for. There. Look there in verse 17. I'll read it for us there. That the Spirit of God will give them wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Uh, when Jesus prays one of His last prayers on earth, um, He pleads with the Father in John 17 verse 3, and He prays that, that He will allow His disciples to truly know Him, and then He qualifies His statement by saying that this is eternal life, the good life, that God's people may know Him. Okay? This is the greatest thing that you can do is to know the Father. This is why Paul is crying out to God that he will be gracious to them as a church to know God who he truly is. To unveil this truth about him that his people have not yet seen and they, they will be blown away in the midst of this city in Ephesus and Pretoria where we find ourselves um, to compare all the other temptations as lesser powerful to knowing God. There can be no greater apex or task to achieve in your life than to, with all your power and might, to get to know the Father. 
Paul is not talking here of knowing God in a way that you have something to say between your non-Christian friends that would maybe impress them or make you think that you know something. He's talking here of a deep, intimate knowledge of knowing that the God of creation is working inside of your life. In our culture where everyone has something to say and we're living in this boiling pot of worldviews and philosophies that people have, it's so easy to sound like someone who knows your stuff, but there's not actually depth behind this. So what is the deep truth that grounds and helps us grow in knowledge of the Father? So there's two fundamental truths that I want us to look at this morning and think about and uh, contemplate with um, as we look in this passage and the first one is this hope that Paul is talking about and what we talked about in the beginning and the second one is this immeasurable power that is available to a Christian as he's walking after the Lord so I want us to look firstly around this idea of this hope that Paul is talking about look with me there in verse 18 Paul says the following he says that you may know the hope to which you have been called the riches and the glorious inheritance in the saints. Okay, so this is a lot of big theological words, okay? Paul is like packing them all out there. All his letters always start with these deep, deep truths. But if we hang in there, we'll get to the gold of them and why they are so important. Um, what is Paul talking about? Okay, so he's firstly saying that the first waypoint in truly knowing if you are growing in your knowledge of God is to know which hope you have, Okay? To know which is the hope that God is calling you to. We all know that without hope, the human soul can't flourish. Okay? If there's no hope, there is no light in your eyes and there's no motivation to go on with life. With enough hope, every soul can go through the toughest situations in the world and nothing can overtake you in life. So Paul is this hope for us in the inheritance which awaits every believer um, that follows the Lord. So he describes this inheritance as rich and glorious. Okay, So he's referring to this great inheritance that every believer will achieve one day when Jesus returns. Listen to the magnitude of this words. God is looking forward to the day when he will be united with his saints. Okay, That's an amazing statement right there. The creator of the universe, let's just think about this for a moment, who gives us breath and life, who made us in his image, each one of us different, breathed his, life, his breath of life into us, and he is looking forward to meet us one day, to be with his saints united for eternity. The God who holds the planets in order, who makes the sun shine this morning, who makes the seasons turn, that God is looking forward to meet with His saints one day in a more deeper and intimate way than we have ever done before. In Revelation 4, John describes this glorious scene of one day being united with God. Um, he describes it as God sitting on a throne, surrounded by the most powerful heavenly beings and most precious jewels around Him. It's this glorious scene that you can't comprehend when John saw it he was blown away when the church leaders around God's throne saw him on seated on his throne they couldn't do anything else but cast away their crowns they looked at all their achievements in life and they said it's useless compared to the amazing glory that's standing right before me it's almost like seeing a beautiful piece of art or a sunset and you're 
voice just drops and you just, wow, this is amazing. And so much more it will be one day if God's saints will be united with Him. They will be completely blown away by the glory and riches of God. But God is on His throne and His saints will be with Him. And that is the most glorious picture we can look forward to as His children. But Paul unpacks the magnitude of this hope further in the next chapter. He says that before someone becomes a believer, they are without hope. If they are without God. Hell will be a place where there will be no God and no hope. If a disciple of Christ understands which inheritance is awaiting him. Then he will have an unshakable hope that no person can take away. And God is the object of that hope. So we've talked about it in the beginning. How our hope is manifesting in all these different things we hope to. But God is the object and the center person of a Christian's hope. And that is the central first thing we need to know in knowing God. The first waypoint. It's like having a lot of hard work. I don't know if you guys go through this, but we all are wired in this way in some way. Um, you have all this work you have to do. There's a ton of it waiting for you. It's difficult. You don't want to do it. There's a lot of frustration and there's a lot of issues regarding it. But when you know holiday is around the corner, when you know December is close by, we all go through this little depression time. It's actually we're there now. Um, but you know holidays around the corner, some magical way we just kind of get through it knowing that there is hope at the end of it. You gut and grind it out knowing that it's only for a short while, then there will be a nice vacation waiting for us. Plenty of rest and sleep and a lot of good food to enjoy and good uh, company with people. And this is so similar to our time here on earth as believers. God calls us to be so focused on the next world that the struggles and issues we face this side of eternity will look like nothing compared to what is awaiting us. I know some of you might think at this moment, yes, okay, do you want us all to become priests and sit in a monastery somewhere and just pray and uh, go on all these journeys? What does this mean on a practical way? Um, I need to provide for my family. I have real issues that I need to deal with. I can't just step out and take a nice break to think about heaven. Let's, let's be practical here, okay? Let's, let's deal with life and all the issues we have. Um, I want to challenge you this morning by saying that without being driven by the hope of eternity with God, you won't have enough fuel to do the good work this side of eternity. Okay? Without being focused on what is awaiting us, we won't have enough motivation to do the good work this side of eternity. I want to explain with us uh, with the words that C.S. Lewis um, wrote in one of his books. He said the following, um, and it always blows my mind when I um, read this passage. He says, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those... who thought the most of the next. It's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective at this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Deep words, huh? Rooted is this our ultimate hope. Are we so focused on the world that is awaiting us and the glorious inheritance 
that God is keeping for us to be united with us, that it is affecting every aspect of our lives this side of eternity. If our ultimate hope is grounded in matters of this earth, it will make us ineffective as believers and distract us from focusing on what is coming for us. There is no person, people group, political party, paycheck big enough to provide your heart with enough hope and security to do the good work that we are called to do this side of eternity. The deceitfulness of wealth is webs that want to entangle us and keep our eyes down so that we can't see what God is calling us to with eternity with Him. Bitterness and hate keeps our eyes off this glorious inheritance for which we need to prepare ourselves one day. I want to specifically challenge us this morning um, and as OG said at the beginning as well, we follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior. In light of all the sagas of going on against racial tension in our country, our own country with the uh, racist pastor, I don't know if you guys follow anything of the statements that happened there, the shootings in the USA, I want to challenge us as Christians who are true disciples of Jesus to take the lead in building the bridges across our differences as Christians, across the cultures that we come from, across the challenges we have from our history in our country. I want to challenge us this morning to be the people that take the lead in doing that. We are the only people who can do that without having any other objectives. God calls us to do this. We have to have face-to-face conversations with one another where we don't understand one another, where we have differences, where we feel wronged, when we feel that someone is not understanding me. God calls us as His people to embrace those differences and talk about them and live in the tension with one another to grow and learn from one another. And I'm convinced it's only the church that will be the answer to build these bridges. One would... I've reminded you guys about this often, but the Bible reminds us of this, that this wall of hostility is removed and we are one people in God. We are one family and God calls us to embrace this unity we have in Him. And we can only do this since we know that our identity is not found in our race or culture or history, but it is found in where we are ending up one day. That we're going to spend eternity with in God's presence, going to be united with Him in a true, deep, intimate relationship with Him and one another. If we are focused on that eternity and that image that's awaiting for us, we can only then start building these bridges and walking closer to one another and living a life that looks radically different than the world around us. We will be complete heretics if our lives, this this side of eternity, is not displaying this truth. May we be challenged in a way to live radically like this as God is calling us. It's times like these that the church is called to take the lead in building these relationships with those who are brothers and sisters who are different than us on a superficial level. It is not sufficient for us to say that we have tried but they don't want to listen or understand. Since our hope is secure, we don't need to fear that what we might say or do might offend someone because our insecurities are thrown away because we are secure and we are in God. 
me and Juan have uh, often conversations where we uh, look more like enemies than brothers, where we embrace and challenge one another on these differences and issues we have that's different. Um, and it's so helpful. It feels so tense and so close and so deep. But as we know who we truly are, it actually makes us closer and makes the deeper truth of who we are more real and more affectionate in our hearts, and we get to know one another better in that way. So I want to challenge us to continue on that tension. The Chotla was an amazing event that you guys hosted, and we have to continue to work in a way where we practically engage with one another and be in conversation with one another, not on Facebook therefore, but yeah, where we speak and converse with one another to grow closer and enjoy already the fruits of what we will have one day in eternity. Then the second and final point, um, much shorter but very profound. Look with me in verse 19. Um, Paul talks there of the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards those who believe in Him. Um, I don't know about you, but when it comes to statements like these in the Bible, I kind of get excited. I'm not the prosperity preacher who asks for your money now and like make people fall over. I'm talking here of a deep power of God that works in believers. Um, I kind of get excited about statements of this. So let's just think about what I said earlier. The God who created the universe and everything else we see and do is allowing His people to be completely involved with this power of Him that is working inside of us. That blows my mind. Um, Paul unpacks this power further for us as follows. He says in verse 20 that this is the same power at work within you which raised Christ from the dead. But not only raised Him from the dead, but raised Him to heaven. This power of God, it sat Jesus at the right hand of the Father where He reigns. This power in verse 21 gives Christ the right to rule over all creation, over all authority and power and dominion that was and is to come. This is no small power that we are talking about. This power displays itself the clearest in how we see it working in and through Christ and how He was the reflection of that. Let's just think for a moment of the most powerful influential people that ever lived lives now and ever will live, they all will need to submit to the authority and rule of Christ one day. All things are under His feet, and this is the same power which is at work in us as Christians. This is amazing, eh? The power of God is no small thing, and He causes people to understand what this power is. And Paul prays that God's people will understand the magnitude of this power in the midst of the Ephesus and the Pretoria where we live, that God is powerfully working inside of us. Uh, some of you might know that I have a beast of a red scooter. I don't know if you guys have seen me cruise around in Pretoria. All 150 cc's of it. Um, while I at least think it's a beast, until some brother stopped next to me with his 1,000 uh, cc speed bike, and uh, for a moment, I think I'll give him a, a go for his money. And 10 seconds later, when the robot's green, I'm like trailing way behind. And um, I'm like thinking, oh, I didn't really dice him. I was, just, I was just keeping to the speed limit. Don't worry, you know. Now, living life without the power of God is like dicing super bikes with my scooter, okay? 
When you are all by yourself and you sit by yourself and think about all the powerful schemes and ideas why life will work out perfectly, it might think that you will be sufficient to face life. But if you have to compare it with the power of God, it is insufficient to overcome the realities of life. Okay? When life throws its hardest curveballs at you, our own power and strength won't be enough to overcome what is coming for us. The power of God is the only power that can overcome the effects of sin in our lives. Now, I'm not only talking about the petty sins where you maybe say the wrong thing or are impolite or something like that. I'm talking about those deep, scary, darkest secrets in our hearts. Those things that maybe not even your wife knows or your closest friend knows of. The power of God is the only power that is sufficient to start working with the deepest, darkest secrets in our hearts. Those sins that hurt us and the people we love dearly the most, those sins that we think we'll never be able to break, Jesus overcoming death and being raised to heaven is our guarantee that God's power is working inside of us and that He is busy working with those deepest, darkest secrets in our hearts. This might not be the experience that we have in our lives, but God is working. I don't know of a believer who will look back over a period of five years or more and say that they have not changed for the better. You guys agree with me? In the moment, we might get distracted and get caught up in different alleys. But if we look over a period of five to ten years and see how the Lord has worked, we will all be humbled to see how this power of God is already transforming and changing in our lives. Yes, there is terrible pain and suffering that we face during these periods, but it's all God working mightily in us to change and renew us from the inside out. We need to preach this truth to ourselves daily as we face life and its challenges. God is not working in flashy, pleasant ways to impress people in the process of transforming us. He's working behind the scenes in those nitty-gritty moments when no one sees, when it's behind closed doors and when we feel like life is too much. That's when God starts working spiritually, naturally in our lives in ways that we can't understand or comprehend. It's God's work. And it's mostly in these tough times. God's power is working mightily in our lives as we are united in Christ. We need to believe this and preach this to ourselves. Now obviously, if you are sitting here this morning and you have not yet accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, these great truths cannot be true for you. You are at a place where you are actually without hope. Or your hope needs to be built on stuff that's not sufficient to face the true realities of life. And it's only God's kindness and mercy that is granting you time to repent and turn back to Him. To come back to God and say, God, I need you. I can't survive on my own and my own strength. I need a solid, true, living hope and a power that works in me. Because without it, I won't be able to face the realities of the world. So do not settle for the 150cc scooter life. Follow true happiness and God for the true superbike life in how we can follow after Him. Does that make sense? Superbike kind of went there. Okay, so true happiness can only be found as we embark on this journey of truly knowing God. Times will be tough as we follow after Jesus, and I fear that we as believers unnecessarily get discouraged. 
We forget that God is proactively working with His power in our lives to be less obsessed with the things of this world and hope harder for the sure eternity with Him. We are called to share in Christ's sufferings if we are truly His children, but knowing that a loving Father is standing behind it all. And I want to encourage us with that this morning, because I feel so many times we get distracted in all these things that's happening, and it's actually God working in proactive ways in our lives, but we get caught up in them, and we miss Him as the Father that's behind it all. And I want to pray that for us, to you know, see those times as times of joy, where we experience God in such an intimate, deep way in knowing Him. So those tough times when we truly get to know the Father and where we truly grow in happiness and deep joy that will change and transform us for anything that life might throw at us. So let me pray for us and ask that God will continue to do that in our lives as we carry on. Dear Lord, we praise you for your word and that you speak in such a relevant way to our lives, Lord. Um, it is not something that we can orchestrate ourselves. Lord, we live in a broken world, a broken country, a broken city with broken people. Lord, we need you to work through us. We need you to remind us of the amazing eternity that's awaiting us as your people. We need you through your spirit to remind us and give us this revelation of what is awaiting us. A revelation of the power that is mightily working in us as we are sitting here already, Lord. Please remind us of that, Lord. And we pray that you'll give us courage to pray for us, brothers, in the USA where there's so many racial tension at this moment. That you'll rise up in the church, Lord, and bring your hope to people that have no hope. Lord, only through your church can there be hope for our country and for our people to build bridges and build strong communities of faith, Lord, that will shine a light that is so amazingly beautiful, Lord, that will blow people's minds away, that won't be comprehended with logical thinking, anything else but that Jesus is at the center, that your people are rooted in you, and therefore we can be united, Lord. We pray that you will do this work in us. Please do this in us. And may we enjoy the process as you work through us, Lord. Uh, we pray this in your amazing name. Amen.